If you would please, I'd invite you to turn uh, with me in your Bibles to Colossians uh, chapter 2. Um, uh, the bulletin may have said verses 2 through 8. Uh, this afternoon we're actually only going to be in uh, Colossians 2, 8. Um, but we will read, though, uh, Colossians 2, 8 through 15, uh, just to uh, help us see, see where Paul is going here uh, in his, his line of argumentation. And so uh, Colossians uh, chapter 2 Uh, Beginning in verse 8, Paul writes, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he says, See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception, according to the tradition of men, according to the elementary principles of the world, rather than according to Christ. For in him all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form, and in him you have been made complete, and he is head over all rule and authority, and in him... You were also circumcised with a circumcision made without hands in the removal of the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised up with him through faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your transgressions and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive together with him, having forgiven us all our transgressions, having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. When he had disarmed the rulers and authorities, he made a public display of them, having triumphed over them through him. Now, as we've been working our way through Uh, the book of Colossians on Sunday evenings, we've seen over and over again this theme of how Paul is directing these Christians back to first principles, back to the gospel, back to Christ, over and over again. He does this and labors for the Colossians, as he says above in chapter 2, verse 4, so that no one will delude you with persuasive argument. There were some people who were coming their way, with persuasive arguments, namely persuasive arguments contrary to Christ. And Paul wanted them to be especially on guard against it. And his warning reaches the level of an imperative here in chapter 2, verse 8. He says, see to it that no one takes you captive. Or the King James would translate it, beware lest any man spoil you. That is, spoil in the sense of rob, despoil you, take what belonged to you. Seeing what dangers were assaulting them, he warns here of the way in which this false teaching was coming. He warns them against being taken captive by philosophy and empty deception that was according to the tradition of man and according to the elementary principles of the world. And in short, he warns against those who would take them captive by all of those things rather than according to Christ. Now let's consider what he says. See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception. Now speaking as he does, he does not strictly forbid philosophy as a discipline per se. Strictly speaking, philosophy is the the love of wisdom. We know that wisdom is good. We know that we should value wisdom and pursue wisdom. Think Proverbs. Logic and reason, the so-called weapons of a philosopher, are useful and helpful tools, both in understanding the Christian faith and in defending 
the Christian faith, apologetics, and so forth. And so it's not all philosophy, not philosophy per se, that he cautions against, but rather, as John Gill expressed it, he means that philosophy or science, which is falsely so-called, the false notions of philosophers. And certainly, there's no shortage of that. No shortage of the false notions of philosophers. There was no shortage in the ancient world, and there is no shortage today. Philosophers continually come up with all kinds of things that are simply nothing more than empty deception. Clever arguments meant to satisfy themselves and others that good is evil, and that evil is good, and that there is no God, or if there is a God, he is not the God described in the Bible, and so on. Philosophy in that sense is philosophy falsely so-called, or what our beloved Pastor Shane uh, would describe as a defense mechanism against the Holy Spirit. That's the way, that's the way Pastor Shane, who, if you, know, if you knew our former pastor, he had studied philosophy and read it, but he thought that it was a defense mechanism against the Holy Spirit. May God forbid that any one of us would seek refuge in such a defense, a defense that actually leads only to destruction. Now, it's beyond our scope this afternoon to give a catalog of these various kinds of philosophies, whether ancient or modern. Suffice it to say, there have been many, and they have operated on the basis of empty deception. And they have taken many captive over the years, taken captives who have once claimed the name of Christ. Paul warns also against being taken captive according to the tradition of man, that is, the, the teaching of man. And when he speaks of the teaching of men, he is speaking of those teachings or traditions which are opposed to the revelation of God. You recall that interaction that Jesus had with the Pharisees recorded in Matthew 15, Mark chapter 7, when they questioned him on why the disciples did not walk according to the tradition of the elders. They were eating their bread with unwashed hands, and the Pharisees took offense at this. Why, why are they breaking the tradition of the elders? And how did Jesus respond to that? He responded by quoting Isaiah 29, 13, and he said, Rightly did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far away from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the precepts of men. Neglecting the commandment of God, you hold to the tradition of men. That's how it's expressed in Mark 7, 6-8. Now Paul says, don't be taken captive on the basis of the traditions of men or on the basis of the precepts of men. And if you look on down in Colossians chapter 2, especially down there towards the end of the chapter, he seems to make allusion to some of those traditions of men which were being propagated. Apparently these teachings or traditions of men tended toward asceticism, which is making up rules and following them so as to make oneself more holy or more acceptable to God. There was a, a rigorism, a harsh treatment of the body and so forth. Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. But this was not what the word of God required. These were merely the rules of men. And as such, they were not binding. There's no need to submit to them. It's the precepts of men, not the precepts of God. And lastly, Paul says that they were not to be taken captive uh, according to the elementary principles of the world. Now, what does that mean? Well, there's, there's a bit of a debate over whether Paul is referring to Old Covenant Jewish ceremonies, elementary principles in the sense that they were, you could say, the ABCs of Old Covenant Jewish religion. 
ceremonial aspects of the law that have now passed away with the coming of Christ and the inauguration of the new covenant. And to be fair, Paul does use similar language in Galatians 4, speaking of those old covenant Jewish ceremonies. And so he says, this is Galatians chapter 4, verse 3 and 4, verse 9. He says, so also we, while we were children, were held in bondage under the elemental things of the world. But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how is it that you turn back again to those weak and worthless elemental things to which you desire to be enslaved all over again? So he might be speaking of Old Covenant Jewish ceremonies to which, uh, and, and to be fair, given, given what we see in, in Colossae, there was some element of that where they were kind of foisting Jewish ceremonies upon these Christians. Others are of the opinion that Paul might be referring to something more basic when he speaks of the elemental things of the world, as in the elements of the physical world and the need to interact with or respond to those elements in some kind of way that was almost pagan or Gnostic. And so one writer described this view like this. He said, The Colossian philosophy, by its preoccupation with rules about material things, was, in Paul's view, treating those material things like the pagans did, as if they were fundamental cosmic powers that needed to be placated. They were, in effect, putting them in the place of Christ and failing to recognize the believers had died to them with Christ. I think those are the two most plausible possibilities of what these elemental things are that Paul is warning against here. And I think good arguments can be made on both sides. And I think especially given the context of Colossians, you see some of, some of both kinds of things going on. And so whichever particular error Paul has in mind here, we need to remember that the other error is proscribed as well. Both are erroneous and out of bounds, whether it's a hypersensitivity to the elemental things, the, the elements of the world, and treating them as if they need to be placated and treated almost uh, like a pagan deity or something like that, or a hypersensitivity about Old Testament ceremonial law. Both of these uh, have no, uh, no constraining force upon believing Christians. If whichever one is clearly in the apostle's mind here, the other is implicitly out of bounds for Christians as well. And so, in the end, Paul's warning is that these things are based on vain deception. They're based on human teachings, and they are not according to Christ. And as we, we read on down from verses 9 through, through 15 at the beginning, you'll, you'll notice from those words there and what follows how he goes on to show the superiority of Christ. He says, don't be taken captive by these things according to the traditions of men, according to the elemental things of the world, and not according to Christ. And then he goes on and he tells us who exactly Jesus Christ is, how he is God in him. The fullness of the deity dwells bodily. He tells us how Christ is our Savior, how he has delivered us from sin and judgment and so forth. The implication of all of this then is that Christ is Lord, that we as Christians belong to him. And therefore, it is Christ's prerogative to tell us what we must do. It is his prerogative to tell us what is required of us. It is he who tells us the truth and what we must believe and what we must do. And so Paul says, see to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception according to the tradition of men, according to the elementary principles of the world, rather than 
according to Christ. In other words, don't listen to anyone who is trying to direct you away from the foundation of Christ. If they come to you with a different message other than the gospel that you have received and believed, don't listen to it. Don't be carried away by it. Now, these false teachers apparently had a great appearance of wisdom. They may have been drawing upon ancient traditions and mixing in certain elements of ceremonial Judaism and maybe mixing in pagan religious ideas and coming up with all kinds of self-imposed rules. But Paul says that this is the stuff of empty deception. Despite whatever wisdom might manifest itself or apparently manifest itself, Paul says this is deception. It is false. It is no good. It leads those who embrace it away from Christ. Now, in our time, we're not beset with voices that are saying the exact same things as those who are trying to influence the church of Colossae at this time. We have a multitude of other voices that seek to influence us and draw us away from Christ in their various ways. In our time, it seems that the pull is not so much in the direction of asceticism and harsh treatment of the body, but rather in the opposite direction, right? The opposite direction of sensuality, licentiousness, and so forth. And we see this all over the place. Sexual sin, celebrated, promoted, and so forth. We see it in drunkenness. We see it in the uh, disobedience and rebellion that is celebrated and all along the spectrum. And the people who propagate these things would hope to take us captive by them and ultimately lead us away from Christ. And though our culture may have its variations of Gnosticism showing up in Conspiracy theories and in New Age spirituality, it also has its share of agnosticism and indifference. If Gnosticism emphasizes that one's salvation or spiritual well-being is bound up with a special secret knowledge, agnosticism is content to muddle on without knowledge. Because in their view, you can't really know anything about whether there is a God, and so why bother? Whatever the similarities or whatever the differences between first century Colossae and 21st century Baltimore, the point is that both have their fair share of philosophy and empty deception that is ultimately based on the traditions of men and the elementary principles of the world and therefore is not based on Christ. And those who propagate it would seek to take us captive, lead us away from the foundation, away from Christ. And if we're all honest, I think... We, we have to admit that sometimes we feel the pull of it. I know I certainly have felt the pull of the world. I imagine that you have too. We're tempted to sin because we wrongly believe that sin is better than righteousness because we trust our instincts or the wisdom of this world more than Christ who has become to us wisdom from God. But Paul says to us, see to it that no one takes you captive. Now, the obvious question then at this point is how? How do we put a stop to this? How do we prevent ourselves from being taken captive? Well, that's a topic that we'll consider, Lord willing, at, at greater length in, in coming weeks as we continue on in the, the series in Colossians 2. But in short, the, the short answer is to keep your faith, your obedience, and your affections focused on Christ. Because that's what Paul does in these verses, is he shows us the superiority of Christ, the superiority of who he is, what he has done for us by his work in accomplishing our redemption. 
And so in short, friends, when you hear the wisdom of the world touting itself and trying to prove itself to be oh so clever, seeking to lead you away from Jesus, look back to him. He's the son of God who became man. He is the word made flesh. Think back to what Christ has done, how he has loved you and given himself for you. He has done what no one else could do for us. Through his death, he has reconciled us to God, bringing to us the forgiveness of sins. We must keep our eyes fixed on him. And as Jesus said it in John 10, his sheep know his voice. We know the voice of the shepherd, and we dare not listen to the voice of a stranger and turn away and follow a stranger. Let's listen to Christ. Let's keep our hearts, our minds, our affections focused on him. Let's pray. Father, we do know the pull of the world, and Lord, we do thank you for the warnings that your word gives us, that we listen not to the siren song of the world, but that we look to Christ, that we turn our eyes back to him again and again. Lord, we ask your help that you would keep us firm, that you keep us steadfast, and that you'd strengthen us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.